Hi there, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Companies on Cannabis. I'm your host, Chris. This is a podcast where each episode, my co-host Sean and I discuss a business of interest to us and provide a case study on a challenge it's currently facing while one or both of us responsibly enjoy cannabis. This week, we discuss Berkshire Hathaway. Warren Buffett and his business partner built this company, and it has become one of the most successful investment companies in history. They consistently outperform the annual growth of the S&P 500 and are always asked about investing, the market, and new investment trends. Lately, their company's performance has not been as good as it has been in the past, but they have made huge gains this quarter coming off the pandemic. Sean and I discuss the company, why they're so loved, and what it will look like when the two partners leave the business in possibly and maybe probably the near future. As you listen, please keep in mind this call is recorded on Zoom. Thanks for listening. This is Berkshire Hathaway on Cannabis. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, bro Trulio. How are you? I'm good. Good. How are you doing? Good. I don't know how obvious the bro Trulio reference was, but that was uh, for Brooklyn Nine-Nine, you know? Ah, That nice. guy? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like uh, we need to give the, the B-class celebrities a nod once in a while with these, you know? For sure. Yeah, it can't just be main celebrities and historical figures, right? Yeah. I, uh, I just finished my, my yoga and my veggies. Holy man, cannabis and yoga is like overwhelming sometimes. That's got to be a good combo though, no? Oh, very enjoyable. Very enjoyable. Um, so what's on the agenda for today? Today, I think we can talk about Berkshire Hathaway. I mean, they just had their first quarter, um, I guess, first quarter financial meeting. Uh, whatever that is for the investors. And yeah, there's some news coming out of that. And they're just an interesting company with uh, all their history and kind of why people like them, why they like the owners. So I thought that'd be cool and fun. Yeah. Who doesn't like talking about Warren Buffett? Plus, I think that they are kind of in the spotlight a little bit more recently, like you said, because of releasing financials, but also just because they're a prominent company. And uh you know, as times change and political pressures are put on companies, like that becomes relevant to them. So, yeah, I think they're worth talking about. So uh, what do you want to talk about first? Like their history? Because I feel like that's like kind of hilarious, although not as relevant, <laughs> you know? Yeah, let's let's go there and then we can kind of get to present day and what's going on with them. So um, it started as like a textile company, which I think is hilarious. Um, everyone knows it as like a financial investment firm, but... But here we are, a textile company. Um, so yeah, I mean, basically, uh, Warren Buffett took it took it over with a hostile takeover. He was going through like a proper negotiation to like you know buy this textile company, and uh, the deal kind of was kind of was soured um, by uh, you know maybe an underhanded tactic that was a very minute tactic, but it didn't sit well with Warren Buffett. So he went the hostile route and looking back on it, like he regretted it and said, Oh, it cost me so much more money. It would have been cheaper just to direct, just to invest directly into insurance companies. But, um, but yeah, I think that's kind of a hilarious history and it, you know, puts a, puts a timeline on the company. Um, but yeah, now they're an investment firm. So the more, you know, yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. Uh, all the time he talks about money in the company and, it's usually like, oh, I wish I could have done this. I would have saved a bit more um, for myself. And like, obviously, that'd be make him more successful. But he's already one of the richest guys in the world. 
Um, so it's not like he really needs it, but it's, it's interesting that it kind of still hurts him a bit. Yeah, well, I don't know if it hurts him, but it's noteworthy anyways. You know, he mentions it. Um, but yeah, he, he's definitely not seen as a failure by any means. He's seen as a success and even like tough times, you know, I think last year, correct me if I'm wrong, they posted like a $14 billion loss in their in the same Something quarter like last year. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, clearly he doesn't always just produce magic no matter what. Like the times are still relevant to him and his success. But uh I don't know. They seem to bounce back right now along with a lot of other companies. So it's happening. Yeah. It really goes to his investment philosophy. I guess he picks good companies that he likes, invests in them. And yeah, it seems to be doing everyone who follows him pretty well. And like also with his investment strategy, he seems to be very preferential towards like longer term investments. Like he definitely isn't as short minded as like a lot mm -hmm. of other companies. He looks for companies that pay dividends and like, he also is like not shy about like buying a bulk portion of the company. Like I think a lot of the major companies that are within the Berkshire portfolio, like Berkshire owns enormous chunk of these companies. Like even something like 6% of Apple is so substantial yeah. when you think of the size of Apple. Right. So. Yeah. One thing I learned about them. So you mentioned they started in the sixties when he bought a textile company essentially. And then, decided to use the cash to do investing instead. Uh, they actually own a lot of other companies, like outright, where they're a majority stakeholder or whatever. Um, and I didn't even know all the different companies that they had their hands in. I always thought that they were just sort of an insurance company that used the, the float to invest. But yeah, they own stuff like, I guess, Dairy Queen, yep. a few consumer places like that. They own a rail, railroad that I guess has been doing pretty well. And yeah, it's just interesting to see how they get their hands and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, the railroad's an interesting one too, because railroads have such political implications. Like immediately, like when he, when, when Berkshire bought that railroad, that railroad makes a lot of oil, like uh, re revenue off of like oil and transporting oil related goods. Um, so it, it's kind of cool how like once you invest a major stake in one of these kind of companies, um, it pivots how the public sees you and it, it kind of almost takes a political stance. Um, so I, I think that's noteworthy because I think that might come up again in a bit, you know? Mm. Um, yeah, for sure. But yeah, he does, he does make, you know, very calculated investments, long-term investments, um, and into major brands that we all know. Like I was actually thinking, Hey, like while we're on this call, are we going to be using any products that like have notable Berkshire ownerships? And it's like, heck yeah, you know, multiple products probably. So, um, so yeah, I think that's all kind of noteworthy. I think another kind of noteworthy thing about Berkshire is the way they structure their shares is really neat. Um, not many companies do their kind of structuring of like a, an A share and a B share with such vast differences in value. Um, like the B shares are like non-voting shares and are like completely diluted compared to like the $400,000 A shares. Um, yeah. and the company has like a commitment to never splitting those a shares, which is, is what makes that unusual. Right. Yeah. So, and that's why they're worth so much, right. They, they aren't adding more, I guess, and, or creating more, uh, supply for, for other investors. Right. Yeah. And it also is, it's calculated for ownership considerations, which I think when you look at Warren Buffett's, Buffett's personal history of some being involved in so many mergers and takeovers and 
negotiations. I think he knows the value of, of what a voting share means, you know? Yeah. Um, and he takes like a hundred thousand dollars salary to be CEO of this company, which is like, again, super unusual, super low. And I think it's because like, he likes being the CEO of the company and doesn't want any, anyone to ever vote any other way than having him leader, you know? So like, yeah. fair enough, you know, it's, he's been successful. He likes doing it. He's protected it. So it's his thing on his terms. And I kind of respect that. Definitely. Um, and I guess that brings us up to today because he's such an investing legend. It seems like everyone is always asking about his take on businesses, companies, stock market, any investing tips or what they, what he thinks of this new thing that that's coming out. And yeah, that I know there's recently they've been asked about stuff like Robin hood, the trading app, uh, this thing called a an SPAC, especially what, uh, let me get the acronym. Yeah. While you're looking that up, I'll add to your list. Um, uh, cause you're right. A lot of people ask Buffett for his investing vice cause he's a guru, right? But as we go into a more and more, um, intertwined political investing world, like politics and finance, politics and economics, they're becoming more intertwined. And I think that it's making it a lot harder for him to stay modern with his positions and, and everything because Berkshire and, you know, de facto through Warren Buffett has said statements on what they think of Bitcoin, which ha- which could easily be proven to be kind of um, it, just blatantly incorrect over time. Like you, by taking that position, it's possible you're going to be wrong. Um, you know, the environmental stance, like they're now taking a lot of heat because they support rails that are very pro oil in the way they're kind of run. And they support coal plants that they want to keep open until 2050. So like these investing decisions are starting, like when you are such a large company with the spotlight on you, these are becoming very politicized issues that are affecting the public image, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like the SPAC special purpose acquisition company, I guess it's a tool used by some usually large investors where they create a company for the sole purpose of acquiring other companies. Uh, And yeah, they like have an IPO usually to raise money. And so it's kind of like people are investing in these things. And for disclosure reasons, I guess the IPO, they never actually say what they're going to invest in. And so it's kind of like you're giving this company money because you trust the people at the top to buy companies. And I guess Berkshire is like, or yeah, Buffett and Munger kind of like, they're kind of immoral, these these weird uh, structures. That's kind of neat. I uh, I never really knew that, but uh, yeah, they got they got a unique thing going. That's for sure. Um, so yeah, recently they made a ton of money, didn't they? Like in this pandemic, yes. they're kind of coming out ahead, aren't they? Yeah, I think their investment style and anyone who is kind of investing reasonably and thoughtfully is probably going to make money in the past six months. So they made in the first quarter of this year almost twelve billion dollars. Um, we mama. So yeah, they're doing pretty well. And so they kind of started investing during the dip second half of last. Yeah. And what I noticed too, is they're starting to go back in like into buying their own shares back and doing like share buybacks as well with some of the profit they're making, which is also kind of interesting because they, the other option is obviously like to acquire, you know, other vulnerable companies and stuff, which is kind of what they're good at. So I don't know. You're right. They've been making a lot of money and kind of stabilizing post pandemics so that they end up ahead. Um, but here's a question, how much, like, this is clearly a very stable company that is quote unquote, like playing it safe right now. 
when they're worth a ton of money and Warren Buffett's worth a ton of money, how much do we hold them accountable for like being part of a solution for everybody else during these weird pandemic times? Because on one hand, Warren Buffett's pretty awesome already. Like he takes a low salary. He's committed to giving a bunch of money back through the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. You know, he is a known Democrat. So you don't want to grill the guy too hard because compared to other billionaires, he's pretty all right. But then on the other hand, it's like, well, your your corporation and the entities that it runs are really making it tough for other people to do good things in some spaces, right? So how do we walk that line? Yeah, that's a tough one because sometimes there's the part of me that it just acknowledges the purpose of these companies and um, the purpose is to make money, essentially make money for shareholders. And that's kind of callous, I guess, but that's how I see the actual structure. Um, Not that I agree it's the best way to do things. So when it comes to solving other people's problems or uh, trying to help people out, it's always a weird thing to ask a business to do that out of the goodness of their heart. But don't these businesses continually lobby government and run, you know, press, you know, public media campaigns kind of stating that like corporate social responsibility is a thing these businesses care so it's tough because you're right like obviously the the bottom line of capitalism is these businesses exist to make money but on the other side is the public being given other messages um maybe generally i don't know if they get it necessarily from berkshire hathaway though fair yeah there was an interesting thing in terms of giving back i don't know if you count it as that but with the whole ice storm in Texas, uh, Berkshire was in talks with the kind of Texas government um, saying, oh, we could install some like backup generators, essentially, I think with liquefied natural gas. And that could be like a way for only severe cases where you need where things are shutting down and you need like that backup supply. Um, they were and it actually has been going through their congress i guess their state congress for possibly taking up this offer and having berkshire hathaway <laughs> maybe build them some some power plants for emergency use nice <laughs> way to pull through berkshire yeah and obviously some texas is there's pushback from the other energy companies being like well we'll have we'll close down if this happens and yeah some people don't want it but other people like are kind of well we need something and they're probably going to win the bid anyway. I so. wonder if they ha- if they stand to gain through other interests because I know often like what companies like Berkshire will do is they'll leverage certain expertise in the new business ventures. So if they have a certain skill set or knowledge base or human capital, you know, pool that they can leverage as they take on a new venture, they'll keep that in mind, right? And I wonder if maybe because like they're like they own a, a huge stake in Chevron and in in the rails that that transports a lot of Chevron's products at different stages of refinement. So like they're kind of vertically integrated on some level there. Yeah. Um, I can't help but wonder if maybe them going into the Texas energy grid and, and being active in that space is maybe linked to some of their expertise and desire to help because they think they're in a unique position to, or simply it's a business thing. Like maybe it's both. I don't know. With, with a company that big, it's hard to tell, right? Yeah. Maybe it is somewhat philanthropic, but um, yeah, you, you can never really know, I guess. I would assume, I get, I would assume they, they see a, a win-win scenario at very least, you know? Like, yeah. I, I would think. 
Yeah. If you have that much cash, you might be able to be like, hey, well, how does this benefit both of us? And I'm sure like a lot of parties watching and seeing this company trying to do good, like people aren't going to want to see the company get the short end of the stick. It's not good for the image of doing business, right? So kind of like, like SpaceX, like Elon Musk has taken a lot of risks with SpaceX, but everybody's rooting for SpaceX because he's such a, you know, a dynamic figure and people want to see that, you know, that journey continue. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think there could be a little bit of that as well where people are kind of rooting for Warren Buffett and yeah, perhaps going back to that idea of their responsibility though. Um, I know there's also talks in this last shareholder meeting about there was like a push to have the company be more environmentally and socially responsible. Um, and I think shareholders voted that down on the advice of what the company recommended. And when I saw the headline, it almost read like some woke kind of Twitter thing um, where maybe a few people who weren't investors in the company were asking Berkshire to do this. Uh, but when it, I heard it came from actual investors, I made me second guess and think differently of, oh, maybe like there is some responsibility that needs to happen. So I can turn around like that question on you and say, is this something that they should be looking at environment and um, diversity and all this stuff in their companies? I think there's a separate question and it's a big question, which is what level of ethics should be involved in investing, right? So I know, for example, um, the United Church of Canada is like a, a church, a, a not-for-profit organization, but clearly they have bank accounts, they deal with money. Um, and as, as an investing strategy, they have specifically discussed like, hey, what is the ethics on investing in mining companies, especially abroad where maybe they don't have good environmental or labor practices? And, and that's something that like these companies often do kind of discuss. And when you get into like teachers unions and stuff like that, again, like these are huge organizations that often try to find overlapping common interests and goals and, you know, move towards, you know, move towards getting uh, things on their agenda kind of taken care of. And you're right. Like we do have, you know, the California teachers union or whatever investing in Berkshire and then voicing up saying as investors, we would like to see more environmental, you know, you know, efforts. Um, but I don't know if that's going to really change anything. Cause we've had that for like the nineties and the two thousands where people have been discussing this question of what level of ethics should we have in investing and I don't think we've really seen the results that we've wanted to see. So why would it why would yeah. it change now? Is I think my my statement on it. Long story short, yeah. I, I kind of agree. I think with if you're an investor and you're kind of asking the heads of the company who have been making you money by investing to almost change their evaluation criteria, you're kind of asking them to change their strategy, and that might be a bit of a dumb move. And we yeah we don't necessarily see the gains generally on just those metrics um, yeah like you need to have government regulation in place or you need to have other economic motivations in place um you can't just rely on corporate social responsibility and uh things just working out in this case like i i, I think as much as i like warren buffett and I, I admire berkshire hathaway like i think they were like quote unquote the most respected company of 2007 within their kind of realm um, so they're obviously a respected company and we can't be too critical without acknowledging that, you know, but, yeah. uh, corporate social responsibility in general, Berkshire or anyone else is failing us, I think. And, 
and yeah, we'll just see kind of what that means going forward. Cause I really don't know. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting thing. Even if you get to like the personal level as an investor, um, you could ask that with your own portfolio and, um, yeah, it's a hard decision to make, I think. So, okay. New question for you. Um, we often like to look forward with these podcasts a little bit. What's the one year, the five year and the 20 year future for, for this company for Berkshire? That's an interesting one. Cause, uh, Obviously, if you're thinking even 20 years, uh, the two owners, the two biggest owners yep, exactly. are pretty much dead. So totally. Five years, maybe Charlie Munger, he's, I think, 92 already. So he might die in the first five years. He might um, be older than that, even. <laughs> he's old. Is he 98? Oh, maybe he, I misread it. Yeah, I think he's 97 <laughs> or 98. Yeah, so that, well, let's say five years, he might be gone. So it's just Buffett. I'm sure he can probably handle himself. But then when he, and you probably see pretty good returns um, through their company because I think they just have a good mindset. But there are two younger guys, I believe, who have joined the company through acquisitions and they might be the most likely kind of inheritors um, who are going to end up taking control of the company. So you'd hope that they have a similar mindset. Uh, but or even yeah, it, or even better, because I don't know if you want to have the same mindset on major issues of the future, like Bitcoin and the environment, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, True. But uh, yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think one year out, we see a lot of the same. I think five years out, we see at least one, if not both of the main, you know, head honchos gone. And then uh, I think with that are our opportunities to start having shifts and I could see them taking a lot of their vertically integrated energy investments and starting to really go green the way that everyone's calling for them to now. And I think that'll start happening. They've kind of committed to a lot of that already anyways, um, albeit not as fast as we would like. Um, so that's kind of the five years out. And then the 20 years out, like, I really don't know because by that point, like, it's not just, oh, Warren Buffett died last year. Like, there will have been a completely different era and whatever yeah. impact it leaves, I don't know, right? Yeah, yeah, it might be something where they just kind of get gains. Maybe they're not as as large as before or something. But yeah, it's a whole different company at that point, so it's hard to say. And I'm sure if you were talking to Buffett, who likes to read um, kind of company uh, financials and like letter to the shareholders and all this, he would say you should know the people in charge and. Uh, if I did my research on these two younger guys, maybe I'd have a better sense of where they're headed, but it that's, really depends on, on that. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a really insightful comment on that because uh, I, I hadn't really thought to do research on the up and coming next leadership group. I had figured it would just be unavailable, but it's clearly got to be available. And, and uh, I'm sure there's people forecasting and predicting that. So you're right. That's probably the best way to, to think about what the next 20 years would look like. Um, but you know what? I think that's enough time away that uh, I don't feel like I need to go into any particular prediction because who knows, maybe in 20 years, they'll be back to being a textile company. You know, like <laughs> they'll be yeah. an apocalypse and they'll have their like cheese making division and their like textile, like yarn weaving division. And we'll be back to like the medieval ages. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. One of the interesting things would be to watch their share price when, um, when Munger and Buffett both both pass away because you'd think that the people invested in the company have a similar mindset of yeah hold and everything um but that news could be big enough for them to lose faith in the company 
Um, plus, just yeah. general news, you might see an interesting dip or something. Yeah, like I, I think you're right on the surface. Any any change is typically seen as the opportunity to destabilize because investing is based on people's emotions. So it's usually not good. It usually causes at least a brief spike downwards. Um, but ultimately, I could see it being a little bit like you'd think typically because of them being such like celebrity personality leaders of the company, you'd think that it'd be devastating if they passed away. Um, but on the flip side, you could also argue maybe the way they've structured their company would help mitigate that spike downwards, which I think they've probably tried to do. Um, so I get it should pay for itself essentially. Yeah. I, I'm pretty confident that they'll be okay in that regard. Um, you know, they, they're not going anywhere. Yeah. But be, uh, be interesting. yeah, that's kind of all I got on, uh, on Berkshire today. I think we're gonna have to wait for one of them to pass away to, uh, to do another one, which is such a morbid note to end on. But, uh, but yeah, that's kind of all I got for you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a good one. Um, definitely an interesting company and, all right. Well, maybe in like a year or two, we'll get to do the morbid second edition of this and we'll, <laughs> and we'll find out really what the stock did when, when it does happen, you know? So yeah. <laughs> uh, until then, everyone. <laughs> All right. Talk to you later, Chris. Talk to you later. Yeah. Bye.